Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. I'm so glad that you're joining me for a brand new week as we look at God's Word once again. Well, this week, uh, I want to look at the subject of biblical morality. And most importantly, I want to look at how do I respond to somebody who clearly disagrees with me, especially when it comes to matters of biblical truth. Can I be compassionate with the truth? Can I be gracious in the truth? Can I be clear in the truth? And I think what our world needs today is clarity. Clarity from the church as to what the Bible says. And maybe you're listening to me today and says, man, I go to church every Sunday. I'm very faithful in serving the Lord. I give tithes and offerings to my congregation. I am involved in a ministry in my church. But I really feel like Christianity is dying on the vine. Well, I've got some really good news for you. Here are seven encouraging trends of global Christianity. Now, Christianity overall is growing. Now, it may be not growing as fast as we wish it were growing, but it's got a 1.17% growth rate. And so as you look at the end of 2022, we discovered that there are about 2.56 billion Christians in the world. So we've got a population, worldwide population, just over 8 billion. So from this, we would say about a fourth to a third of people that are on the planet today are believers in Christ. These are people who identify Jesus as their Lord, their Savior. They understand that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, that he rose again, that he came to forgive them of their sins. So that's encouraging. It is growing, not quite as fast as the population growth of the planet, but it is growing. So here is the trends, okay? Number one, religious faith is growing faster than irreligious. And you've heard me talk on the broadcast about those who consider themselves nuns. I'm not talking about a Catholic nun. I'm talking about those who identify with no religious denomination, no religious affiliation. So the religious faith is growing faster than those who are the nuns. And here's the rates, okay? Particularly in the West, we can see this, okay? But as you look at the numbers of all religious people, there's a growth rate of 1.27 percentage of a rate of growth. Now, the rate of those who say they are no religious affiliation is about a half a percent, 0.52%. So religious faith is growing faster than non-religious faith or irreligious faith. Here's the second point. Christianity continues to grow. Not only is religion overall growing, but Christianity specifically is growing. And the growth rate is 1.17 growth rate. And as I mentioned just a moment ago, uh, we see about 2.56 billion people who identify themselves as Christians by the end of 2022. So by 2050, all right, just uh, 25, 26 years down the road, uh, we're going to see that this number is expected to go up over 3.3 billion people. Uh, so here's some good news, right? The nuns are not outnumbering the religious people as far as their growth rate. Christianity is continuing to grow. And then here's the third point. Growth is fastest in the global south. And again, thinking about the globe, those who are around the equator or south of the equator, that's where we're seeing the fastest growth of Christianity. For example, Africa, 2.77% growth rate. Asia, 1.5% growth rate. 
And to kind of put this in perspective, in 2000, 814 million Christians lived in Europe and in North America, while 660 million Christians called Africa or Asia their home. That's 23 years ago. Today, we discover that the rate has increased. And today, if you take the populations of Africa and Asia and the number of believers living in those two areas, you discover that's a 1.1 billion Christians live in Africa and Asia alone. Significant increase over the last 23 years, more than doubled over the last 23 years. So that's some good news. Christianity also, number four, is continuing to spread out. As Christianity grows to the global south, it's also becoming less concentrated. Now, that may sound bad, but really it's good. Let me explain. In 1990, 95% of all Christians lived in a majority Christian country. So if you were alive at 1900, if you lived in the United States of America, you lived in a majority Christian nation. In 2022, however, that number has fallen from 95% to 53%. In other words, only half of the Christians are alive today are living in countries that are considered a majority Christian country. And they say by 2050, most Christians around the world will live in a non-majority Christian nation. Now, I know that sounds like bad news, but as we look at this next point, we discover that that's kind of good news because that is giving us an opportunity to get the gospel out and sharing the gospel with people because we are actually living among people who don't know Christ. Let me further explain, okay? The percentage of non-Christians who know a Christian is climbing. Now, if you have a high concentration of Christians living in a country, let's say you're in a country that's 95% believers. And so as a non-believer, you're going to know somebody who is a Christian and is less to reach. With more Christians living outside of Christian nations, more non-Christians now know a Christian. Okay, 1900, only 5.4% of non-Christians could identify as a Christian they knew because they were living in a country for the most part, that the majority of the population in a non-Christian country were living in a place where they didn't even know a Christian. Today, that percentage has risen to 18.3%. So in 1900, if you lived in Africa, you had very little contact with other believers because you lived in what we used to call a heathen nation. I don't know that you can call Africa a heathen nation anymore. Many people would say the United States is a heathen nation now. Uh, So the percentage has risen to 18.3% today, and one in five non-Christians by the year 2050 will know a follower of Jesus Christ and have the opportunity to hear the gospel from them. So although Christianity is spread out, and it's spread out further, uh, we discover that I think God has a purpose behind this. God is strategically placing us in places where people don't know the gospel so that they can hear the gospel. Here's something else that is encouraging. Did you know that more than 90 million Bibles will be printed this year? In 2023, as Christianity continues to grow, the printing of Bibles continues to grow along with it. Now, this kind of shocked me, right? Because most people I know, uh, they're not going to the printed version of the Bible. They're doing uh, something on an app or they're doing something on their phones or something through the internet. But this year, 93 million copies of God's Word will be printed. Now, that is up. If you go back to the year 2000, in the year 2000, 
we printed 54 million Bibles. In the year 2023, we printed 93 million copies of the Bible. If you go back to 1900, we printed 5 million copies of the Bible. And they say by the year 2025, 100 million Bibles will be printed each year. So as we think about it, currently there's almost 1.8 billion Bibles in circulation around the world. So that's going to climb up to 2.3 billion by the year 2050. Now, so this is a lot of information I'm giving you, but I hope it's encouraging. The fact that our faith is growing, Christianity is not a dead faith, Uh, it's not going to go extinct. Jesus promised that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. God always has his remnant. God always has his faithful few that will continue to proclaim the gospel who are undaunted by the allure of sin and the evil of our culture, they realize that they are called for a purpose. They are called to carry out the Great Commission, and they're really unmoved by the fact of where our world is. You see, our gospel is so powerful, it is able to penetrate into the darkest confines of a culture. That's why I love following the Lord Jesus Christ. I love to be a disciple of Christ because he rescues us from darkness and gives us his wonderful light. Well, there's one final stat that I need to give you that I hope will be very encouraging to you. As we look at the number of Christians who are dying for their faith, in 2000, the status of global Christianity marked a rate of 1.6 million Christians martyred over a 10-year period. That was a high mark of their report. So from the year 2000 to the year 2010 and into the year 2022, we see an unprecedented rate of Christians being killed for their faith. In 2022, they estimate that the decade-long number to be 900,000 people dying for their faith. So they're saying an estimate between 2000 and 2030, that 10-year window, that about 900,000 Christians will be martyred. That would be down from the previous 10 years of 1.6 million Christians. Now, we don't know if that's going to change. It could change radically over the next seven or eight years and blow this stat right out the window or this projection right out the window. But every death is a tragedy. But at least we're seeing some improvement in this area. But we still see pockets where there is heavy, heavy, heavy persecution for the church. And I think about Nigeria. I have a dear pastor friend, and some of you listening to me today may be familiar with Pastor Friday and uh, his wife, Precious, and the wonderful ministry they have in Nigeria. And our church is kind of a clearinghouse for their ministry. If you'd like to support a missions effort in Nigeria, and you don't know how to do it, uh, you can do that through Hickory Ridge Community Church. If you will go online and give online and uh, market for missions and market for Nigeria, Pastor Friday and his ministry over Nigeria gets every dime of every dollar that's given is sent over to him. And we just help that. We wire that over to him. And so it's a safe way to get it to him. So if you're interested in what the Lord is doing in Nigeria, uh, you can support Pastor Friday through our church. And so when you look at Nigeria, every day on average, 16 Christians are being killed. That's 6,000 a year. Right now, as I'm recording this broadcast, Nigeria is going through an especially difficult time because it's under Muslim leadership 
for the president and the vice president are both Muslims. And, and their constitution calls for one to be Muslim, one to be Protestant or Christian. And right now, because of what's happening politically, that's not the case in Nigeria. So uh, the persecution is really being ratcheted up right now in Nigeria. So we pray for the church in Nigeria. We pray for them to have strength. And Pastor Friday would always encourage us to pray for the courage of the church, that they will remain strong doctrinally, that they will not get discouraged because of the persecution. And and I'm always amazed whenever I talk to Pastor Friday. He never says, well, pray that the persecution will stop. He always prays that the church will be vigilant, the church will be strong in the midst of persecution. And maybe that's why we're seeing uh, such a large number of people coming to Christ, even in Nigeria, even in the midst of persecution. Well, today and tomorrow, as we look at this subject of biblical morality, and we look at the subject of how we can share our faith with those who oppose us, okay? I want you to know there's five biblical truths that we must remember as we are sharing our faith with those who disagree with us. So you're going to have to join me tomorrow to get the second half of this message. But as we look at where we are, I want to recommend a couple of books that may help you on this matter of what biblical morality is all about. The first book is called Change of Affection. It's by Beckett Cook. A Change of Affection by Beckett Cook. And then the second book is a book called Messy Grace. Both of these books are powerful books that deal with this subject of how should I respond as a follower of Christ in this world that we're living in, in this world that seems to be opposed to biblical morality. Well, let me just give you a couple quotes out of that book by Beckett Cook, A Change of Affection. And as we look at these quotes, I think this will help us kind of set the foundation of where we're going today and being able to share with those who we disagree. This is what he says. Claiming the name of Christ is sometimes a dangerous business. And holding to God's revealed truth in his word concerning homosexuality is even more dangerous. And then he says this. If you believe that homosexuality is a sin, you are immediately labeled as a bigot or a homophobic. Somewhere in the last decade, I disagree with you has come to mean I hate you. And so we've got to understand this as we're dealing with those who are vehemently disagreeing with the message of the gospel, that that's how they're looking at it. So what's a believer to do? Well, let's consider these biblical truths. But before we do that, let's look at a passage that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 6. This is halfway through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, you know, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you, right? It's easy to love people that love you back. You know, I'm very blessed to have a very loving family, okay? It's easy for me to love my kids and my uh, my daughter and my daughter-in-law, my son and my sons and my son-in-law and uh, my grandchildren. I, and I have two grandchildren now. It's easy to, for me to love them because for the most part, they love me back. And so Jesus says, what benefit is that? You know, even sinners love those who love them back. And then he says, Matthew 6, 33, if you do good to those to who do good to you, 
what benefit is that to you? In other words, if I'm kind to somebody, if I'm good to somebody, because they're going to be good back to me, or they have been good to me, what benefit is that? Jesus says, well, even the sinners do the same thing. And then he says, if you lend, talking about money, lend money to those from whom you expect to receive it back, what credit is that to you? So if you lend somebody $5 and they give you the $5 back, uh, you know, what benefit is that? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But then Jesus has his major transition. Verse number 35. Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So Jesus is saying a mouthful here. He's saying to love your enemies, do good to your enemies, lend to your enemies, expect nothing in return from your enemies, and you will get a great reward, and you will be sons of the Most High. When you think about this passage of Scripture, this is upside down, right? This is counterculture, right? Because generally we think, well, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, you you take care of me, I'll take care of you, you help me, I'll help you. And that's kind of how we are wired, right? And Jesus says, well, everybody does that. There's nothing special about that. What is unique to Christianity is that we have this capacity to love our enemies, to do good, to lend, expecting nothing in return. In other words, we're reaching out and loving our enemies, those who disagree with us, not because they're going to be won over necessarily, not because they're going to be kind back to us. We are being kind to them because our Father in heaven was merciful to us. We are responding to the goodness of the Lord by giving that goodness to people who may reject it, just as God has been good to us, even though we may reject his goodness. And so as a backdrop, that's what Jesus is telling us to do. We're going to be kind to people. We're going to share the gospel with people, even if they don't respond. Our job is really not to make converts. I think it was Billy Graham who says, it's the believer's job to love, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, and it's God the Father's job to judge. Our job is to give the message without compromising the gospel, but to do it in a way of compassion and love. So when I'm talking to somebody who totally disagrees with me, especially when it comes to matters of morality. How should I respond? Well, number one, no matter what identity a person chooses, that individual was created in the image of God. Genesis one twenty seven says that God created mankind. Well, that's talking about humankind. And how did he create them? In his own image. Now, notice it doesn't say here that God created the believers in his own image. No, it says God created mankind. All of humanity has the image of God placed upon them. He says, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we were created perfectly. But then sin changed everything. The universality of sin has caused us to put down another person or a group of people when we face sin. Have you ever noticed this happens? 
we notice it happened with Adam and Eve. Both created in the image of God, both perfect, and sin enters the picture. You know the story. I don't have to repeat the story too much. But what happened when God was going back to have that daily walk with Adam and Eve? God knew they fell into sin. God knew they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God is having his daily walk with Adam and Eve, and they're hiding from him. Uh, They made these fig leaves to cover up their nakedness. And so God goes after them. And he says, now, Adam, where are you? Now, God knew exactly where Adam was. You know, when God asks a question, he's not looking for information because he doesn't know the answer. When he asks us a question, he wants us to come to the realization of how far we are off track. God was looking for a confession, not an explanation. God knew exactly where Adam was. Adam was lost in sin. He had partaken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He was now experiencing separation from God. He was now beginning to experience the beginning of death, all because of sin. But what does God do? God pursues a relationship with him. And the first question God doesn't ask him is, you know, you've really messed up, Adam. The first question God asks is, Adam, where are you? God wants Adam to acknowledge the fact that he is off track. But, you know, sin changed everything. Because of sin, now we put down another person or we put down a group of people when we are dealing with our sin. What does Adam do? Adam, when asked the question, have you partaken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Adam doesn't answer the questions with a confession. He answers the question with a blame. He says, it's that woman you gave me. She took it and gave to me. And so then Adam shirks his responsibility. And then Eve is asked the same question. What does Eve do? She does the same thing. She does the blame game. She doesn't say, you know, you're right. I partook and I shared with Adam. No, she says, it's that serpent. He beguiled me, right? Uh, He tempted me and I gave in to that temptation. You see, the blame game is always an indication that I'm dealing with sin. You know, the psalmist reminds us that God created my innermost being. He knit me together in my mother's womb. You know, past generations of Americans viewed God as the basis of truth and morality. What is sad that we're living in a day and age that shows that Americans have rejected absolute boundaries regarding their morality. So join me tomorrow as we go to part two of biblical morality. We've only covered one point so far today. We'll try to get the other four points covered tomorrow and maybe into the broadcast on Wednesday. As we close out our time together, I want to ask that the Lord will give you and pray that the Lord will give you courage, courage to face the day and age that we're living in. You know, God has really broken my heart uh, for those who are incarcerated, for those who are dead in their trespasses and their sins. When I drive through Hampton Roads, as I was driving out here today uh, to record the broadcast, I was just thinking about all these cars that were driving by. And then I came up upon an accident on the other side of the uh, the freeway. And I said, I wonder if that person's okay. And I wonder uh, if that person knows Christ. And I, I wonder if the people that are helping them know Christ. If I wonder if that guy who's driving that tow truck to pull that uh, vehicle out of the ditch, 
I wonder if he knows Christ. And, and I wonder about all these hundreds and hundreds of cars that are passing me on the interstate, and I'm passing them. I wonder do they know Christ. Do they have a relationship with the Lord? You know, as we share the gospel, I learned that there are 66 million Americans who are, are wanting to go to church and would go to church if somebody would just invite them. So why don't you invite some to come to church this weekend? And if you don't have a place to worship, why don't you come on down to Hickory Ridge Community Church? You know, we're probably 35, 40 minutes within driving distance of everybody who lives in Hampton Roads, okay? We would love to have you come worship with us 9 a.m. or 1045. They're both pretty much identical services. We have a youth Sunday school class during our second service. We have the Elevate Kids program for both services. We have a nursery and a preschool for both services. Man, I would be honored to see you this weekend. So if you have any questions about the broadcast, any questions about the church, if I can pray for you, would you shoot me a text at 252-267-2365? And I want to thank some of my listeners who have already reached out to me, and I've been having a good dialogue with a, a few of our broadcast listeners, and I love going back and forth with text messages, and I'd love to hear from you. So 252 252- God bless you. Look forward to talking with you tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.